once again to Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is once again your host, Dan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service, and I'm really pleased and grateful to be bringing you Season 6 of the podcast, believe it or not, where we talk to members of the Notre Dame family about really important things regarding their life, their vocations, and how they experience their call to holiness. And we're going to kick off this season with a special guest, Tierney Verdoliak. She is a 2018 graduate of the university, graduated with her Bachelor's of Arts and PLS in Theology, and then also continued on to receive her Master's of Arts through the ECHO program in Theology in 2020. So Tierney, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dan. I'm really, really happy to be here. Yes, absolutely. As you think back to your life's beginnings, your hometown, and some of those stories from early childhood, what are some things that stand out about those days? Mm. That's a great question. I, I love how we have the opportunity to look back into our early periods of formation on this podcast and just in general in our life. So thank you for this time. So when I think back yeah, to my early days as a child, uh, I'm really struck by really the love that was bestowed on me by my parents. So I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to live in a family that was Catholic, and my parents, John and, and Melissa, really raised us in the faith alongside I have an older sister, Haley, who also graduated from Notre Dame just two years before me and had gone to law school after that as okay. well here. great. And I have three other siblings that are younger than me. So my sister, Rory, uh, she just graduated from college this year. Younger brother, Jack, who he is in college. And then my youngest brother, Griffin, he is entering Notre Dame this year. Wonderful. And just to have a family that is really encourages each other. And I feel as though my parents were able to see uh, from a young age for each of us what our gifts and our talents were mm-hmm. and encourage us in those areas of our life to really pursue, yeah, the gifts that God had given us in terms of sports or the intellectual tradition that we were like fascinated by and other things of that nature so yeah I'd also like to say that especially my my dad has played a large role in my formation in faith Mm -hmm. it was really when I was I guess in sixth grade that my dad had a conversion that impacted greatly our family, yeah, our family yeah. life. He had the chance to go with his with some men from our parish. Uh, this is in the Diocese of Joliet in Illinois. Yep. Uh, to Mejigori Okay. Uh, with a group of other men, and yeah, upon his return, he went to the Adoration Chapel every day, and he started taking up fast certain days of the week Mm. and we I think individually and then as a whole family just like saw some transformation Mm -hmm, in him mm -hmm. and were really struck whether we knew it or not by kind of the silence and stillness that came about my dad maybe as a result Mm -hmm. of his experience with Mary and in that community there so yeah it was really that was the first time I'd ever been introduced to adoration and my, my father himself has just played a large role in being a shepherd of our family and mm-hmm. protective of our family. And and what particular, mm-hmm. we got a lot of you know, Notre Dame Chicago connections, what particular suburb and parish mm-hmm. school were you, were you a part of? That's a great question. So I grew up in uh, a suburb of Hinsdale, the suburb called Hinsdale, yep. and the parish in that, in that town is called St. Isaac Jokes. Okay. So I had the chance to go to elementary school there as well, along with my other siblings, and just had some fantastic teachers there as well. I can remember specifically my first grade teacher and my second grade teacher. Actually, these teachers played a role in, upon looking back, like in my vocation story. Yeah, yeah. Little uh, did you know, but yeah. Little yeah. did you know. <laughs> <laughs> One, um, so Mrs. Corliss was my first grade teacher, and um, the assignment that we had one day was what it was kind of an open-ended question like what do you want to be when you grow up I think every child kind of has this question whether it's posed by your teacher or your doctor your dentist and um, I guess my mom tells a story and she yeah reveals to me that I 
took out, you know, a black and a white crayon from my little set and um, started drawing myself as a religious sister Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and had written some excerpt about wanting to be a sister. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I didn't come across that until very, very much more recently. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you didn't remember that from when you were a kid exactly, but it was something that your mom brought back to you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, my mom had brought back and the Lord had just brought these moments back, you know, uh, kind of revealed that to me. Like this is, this has been my my plan, my path for you this whole time. And as you've gone by, like I've been here this whole time. Yeah. I think we all have that, that line in our story. Yeah. There are those moments in life where you can look back and say, ah, okay, I see what you were doing here, Lord. Mm-hmm. But but oftentimes in the midst of it, you have no idea or couldn't know. And then uh, I hope the end of our lives or certainly hope it was as we look back from heaven to understand the fullness of, mm-hmm. you know, where God's grace was active and all these all these things. So this this deepening of your father's faith, how did that play out into your family life? Mm-hmm. It was not only you know, his practice of it, but did you notice that your family began to live their Catholic faith in a, in a more profound way? Mm. Yeah, so um, we had always been a, a family to um, go to Mass on, on Sundays mm-hmm. and practice the faith in the community uh, and receive the Eucharist. But I do think that, yeah, there was a real shift after that time, not only for my family, but yeah, within our parish community too. Mm. So my dad got involved with kind of the evangelization in our parish and within our diocese. And our parish hosts several religious orders and um, even like some diocesan priests one week. And it's basically like a a reverse come and see where the orders will come to, you know, middle school, elementary school children and share their stories, share music, um, just share experience and time with them Mm -hmm. and show the children that religious are all human beings and God is calling us to a particular way of holiness. And this is one way of holiness. Uh, So I, at that point, was in like late high school, early college when that initiative kind of kicked in. But when I went back home to visit, there'd be like, you know, religious hanging out in my house because my parents would host. (laughs) My mom is is such an amazing woman of hospitality. Um, Woman in general and then woman of hospitality who always opens up our home and is very attentive to the needs of other people. So I'm grateful for the ways that both my parents are able to work together Mm -hmm. in that way. Well, I think that's a great point. It's so important because you think about, well, how do we cultivate vocations in the church? And I think one of the great things that Catholic families can do is to invite priests, religious sisters, brothers, whatever the case may be, into their homes and mm-hmm. and have children be exposed to these are regular people and they've found a particular calling in in this way of life but that doesn't mean that there's some kind of other you know other kind of creature like this is a this is a regular hum, human being who has found a calling and, and is loving God in this particular way and it kind of normalizes what sometimes seems distant I would say amen well I'm, I'm so glad that you had that experience, and as we'll find out, that uh, all these things are will bear fruit for you. As you were in high school, uh, thinking about college, what was important mm-hmm. about that time that eventually led you to Notre Dame? Yes, that's a great question. So I shared a little bit earlier how some of the teachers were very formative for me and impacted me in a way, like encouraged, yeah, encouraged gifts and talents that my parents had also done early in my life. I would say that a lot of the teacher mentors of mine made me want to be a teacher myself, made okay. me want to educate in faith, especially yeah. whoever God was calling me to be. So in high school, the, the subjects that I was really drawn to happened to be theology, literature, English, mm-hmm. kind of the classics. And I really loved all of the subjects, which made it hard for me to choose what discipline I was going to go into. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of uh, 
high schoolers, early collegians have this crisis in um, yeah, pursuit. <laughs> I have to choose something? Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, so leading in, I heard of the program of liberal studies uh, right. from another person in my town who had also pursued this uh, this discipline. And really, I was really fascinated by uh, the book. The, not only the amount of books, but then the, the quality and the, the depth of yeah. the books that explore what does it mean to be a human person, right. the question that we all ask ourselves. And to hear that this was discussed in small groups and that, yeah, the professors who were teaching these courses really, really cared. And I knew that Notre Dame professors are focused so much on, on the person really over and above whatever like individual pursuit that they have Mm -hmm. and and that's yeah just really a gift for the university this university that it was it was really no question when I did receive the acceptance that I desired to come here Mm -hmm. especially knowing what community is like in the dorm community I think that's so important for an emerging young adult to be uplifted uh, by authentic human beings who mm-hmm. are joyful, mm-hmm. and you can always find a niche of of love really mm-hmm. there. So it sounds like uh, you were drawn to Notre Dame not just only for the institution, but also the PLS program, and you had some hopes uh, and and you know expectations coming into it. Once once you got here, were a lot of those things realized? What was particularly impactful about your time as a student? Mm. Wow, that's a great question. So the summer after my freshman year, mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to participate in as a mentor, as a music mentor, uh, the Notre Dame Vision Program, sure. which I, I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard. Yeah, we had Steve Camilleri on the last podcast, and wow. he, uh, he talked a lot about the Vision Program, and a lot of great people have come through that for sure. Glory to God. Yeah. yeah. Have come through and have themselves like formed the program. So yes. The McGrath Institute, glory to God for the McGrath Institute. Mm-hmm. And so I had, yeah, through that experience really of walking with young people through the questions that they have, really, who am I and who are you, God? What am I called to, how am I called to be? What am I called to do? And not only asking these questions for themselves, but engaging in in the small group setting and uh, being able to receive the sacraments, being able to sing together, listen to just such um, amazing speakers uh, who come from Notre Dame and, and beyond, really. I was... I was just so impacted that I wanted to pursue theology as a discipline itself and then to sing in a, in a more formal capacity. Yeah. So it was really at that point that I decided to study theology and to join the liturgical choir. Mm-hmm. So those two communities of ND theology and liturgical choir helped me to see what it means to be human. And just kind of balancing that with PLS, so much of the curriculum collided and so much of the way we were formed kind of intertwined. So just one thing leads to another, right? Yeah. Uh, Nothing is wasted, really, in your life. Oh, absolutely. God can use all the things. All the Uh, things. Yeah. (laughs) During your time in vision, I know a big part of that program is, you know, examining the lives of the saints Mm -hmm. and how they found their own call. Did you feel your heart kind of stirred up during that time? You were being a mentor to these high school students, and yet these were also the questions Mm -hmm. that you were facing as well. Yes, yes. And I love how the the lives of the saints are explored, especially at this age group, because the middle school onward uh, mind and heart is just drawn to kind of mentors in faith, as a Notre Dame vision puts it. Yeah. Uh, so I felt especially drawn to Frasati, Pier Giorgio Frasati. Sure. And um, him being, you know, a young adult and just this vivacious, vibrant human being who is, is fully alive in God. There were some stories especially that struck me as other mentors would tell me, or I, I read up a little bit about Pier Giorgio, including, um, uh, so he... 
would have like tied up to his bedpost. Um, I'm not sure if this was a, a rope or something. And he was part of a wealthy family. Mm-hmm. And there was a mass a little bit further away, like past the mountains and in his town or in his city. And uh, this is where he would attend daily mass. But it was kind of an effort for him to, you know, arise early and go in the morning, which, you know, reflects the life of a college student right. as yeah, we well. Know, we know that well, right? <laughs> so he would have, I can't remember if it was the gardener or some some attendant of their family uh, would, would literally just, this rope would be tied to the bedpost and out the window mm. and the attendant would pull it so that he would like literally be pulled out of bed huh. so that he could yeah, be wakened up and go to mass yeah, yeah. in the morning. Um, <laughs> Quite the alarm clock. <laughs> yes, yes. And his parents would would say, you know, Pier Giorgio would often return with far le- with far fewer clothes than he had set out on his journey. Whether that was going to mass or going to attend a rally, or coming home from his small community called Tipileski, which means I think like Motley Crew <laughs> or the shady characters. Okay. <laughs> which I just love uh, the element of fun and faithfulness and how how those totally intertwine mm-hmm. the person fully alive is fun is included in the faith yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's important and and again is relatable in in the human experience i think that's uh, attractive to us now this love for music and liturgical music can you give us some sense of singing in the choir and getting to sing mm-hmm. in the basilica and you know some of the important liturgies that you got to be a part of? What was uh, what was it about sharing the gift of music that was inspiring to you? Wow. I don't think I've been asked that question before. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. So, yeah, just picture if you can standing in just standing in the choir loft itself and being kind of above but also in the midst of the mass which is participation in in eternity for this moment and just the perspective of yeah being like amidst the choirs of angels mm-hmm. and and singing yeah just just singing in that capacity and being full especially like the Murdy family organ I think it was my senior year that it was finally installed. Yeah. And so to have had th- uh, two years, so I entered, yeah, sophomore year, junior year without that organ, to be in a space that is just so grandiose and so full. You know, it's just like full of awe, mm. this like weightiness of the organ and but also the weightlessness of, of um, the voices that that are surrounding us in um, in chorus, and in addition to just the director Andy McShane, he is so sound yeah. and committed. Yeah, the pieces that were selected by him and by our associate director Jonathan Hen really we we oftentimes got to explore the themes of the songs before we would sing them mm. or the director or associate would would share comments about you know how this is meaningful and i think stories like that that are shared before before you go into any piece or stories that are shared by a professor that you before you read any article or something of that nature it just encourages you and to actually sing it or mm-hmm. to actually read it mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really enhances your prayer of mm-hmm. of the piece. Mm-hmm. I remember a few years ago, I we were in the basilica for a holy day during during the middle of the week and I had my young son Benjamin with me, uh, but we were in the side transept and it it may have been the liturgical choir, I'm not sure which one it was, but they started singing a piece and it was a cappella and you know four parts and he just looked up at me with wide eyes mm. and said, "Daddy, it's it sounds like the angels singing," and and wow. I was like, "Yeah, you're right. It, it does." I mean, because we couldn't even see the choir, so he just thought, mm. you know, the angels must be singing with us. But I thought that has always stuck with me as as what the power of music can be in liturgy. Uh, yes. To, I mean, even for mm-hmm. a young child to kind of raise them to prayer and, and raise all of our hearts. So I think it's a real a real gift to hear it and, and certainly to have the 
the ability to sing it, um, I'm sure, is, is a gift as well. Yes. And to that point, when you hear, when you see like a child just captivated or the child himself, like your son Benjamin, mm. I'm sure if this song was, was repetitive, um, which often the songs are that mm-hmm. the liturgical choir sings, mm-hmm. it just is natural for him or her to join in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times this year I've I've had the blessing of being a homeschool teacher, kind of a governess for a family here yeah. in South Bend, and we often attended the 11:30 mass at the Basilica, and the the youngest girl, she nine times out of ten would just pick up in you know, like in the communion, in the communion chant, what was being sung and and, and slowly, quietly kind of singing to God. Mm-hmm. And to just hear that as, as an adult, it just shows you how, how good it is to be a child and childlike yes. before God. Yeah, that childlike faith mm-hmm. is so important for all of us to connect to. You mentioned residential life being a real pillar here. And I think what's so important about that are the mm-hmm. relationships that we formed uh, in, in that time. Can you yes. speak about your residential experience and, and what was meaningful in that in that mm. part of your life? Yes, that's great. So I um, was placed in the dorm of Breen Phillips, very close. Actually, my two dear friends, Aaron and Chen, I think one day we like plotted out how far uh, BP was from the steps of the library and then the steps of LaFun and it was like 150 steps each. Yeah. Exactly. So we were very primely located. This this time and, and being among women, it was like just a time of being blessed among women. Yeah. Really. I am so appreciative of the fact that the ARs and the RAs are formed for, from their years of being in the dorm itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to like a few weeks before in the summers, you can really see, yeah, their attention to the human person. My freshman year RA was just a light to, I think, all of the freshmen, especially when we needed help, you know, operating uh, sure. where and <laughs> and what to do. Just a true, a true woman, and and embodying the the virtues of generosity, simplicity, service, kindness. Uh, just uh, gentleness, really, right. mm-hmm. um, that I think the feminine heart, it, you know, naturally embodies. Mm-hmm. It was just beautiful to have her guide us in a way, and then also to have these amazing other women who were my age, just sharing stories and, and sharing community together. Yeah, it's a special time, for sure. Now, we've talked about your faith journey from childhood and kind of how that deepened with your father and uh, and your family coming to Notre Dame. How did your faith grow while you were here? Did you mm-hmm. did you notice that that you were making that transition of this is something that's important to my family to this is something that's mm-hmm. central to my life as well. Mm-hmm. I I would again return to return to the opportunity to be a mentor in Notre Dame vision. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like you said, Dan, as a mentor, you are um, walking with these people who really are just a few years younger than you and maybe in the same in the same space as you as well. And this time was was really one for me to reflect like, okay, God, who am I? Who are you? How do you call me as daughter? How do you call me as beloved? And how can I respond to this call? I would really say that was de- that was definitely a moment, and I felt myself after that really drawn to going to mass at a more regular basis. For the most part, though, that that transformation did occur maybe like my senior year of mm-hmm. college, okay. and in the time when I when I served as an echo teacher. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great transition because I was going to ask you about the decision to enter the ECHO program. Mm -hmm. Could you explain to our listeners a bit about what that program is and what your discernment was like to become a part of it? Of course. So the ECHO program in faith formation is a program for lay apostolate ministers, really, to recent college graduates or kind of in that age and experience range to be formed in faith so that they can so that you can then form and transform the lives of parishioners and the lives of 
those in in the Catholic school system. Mm -hmm. So the ACO program is in a way similar to the ACE program in that it's a graduate, a master's degree, and you come onto campus for uh, two and a half summers to be formed by professors here. And um, then during the school year, you are sent out, you're, you're on mission within a particular diocese for whatever the diocese needs in your yeah in your gifts and your talents your abilities whether that is as a in the school system as a teacher mm-hmm. or whether that's in the in the parish or the diocese itself the office as a, a parish minister you could even be a campus minister so there are two tracks and um, you would receive your master in theology and this is done through through the department of theology in collaboration with and form really um, started by the McGrath Institute again. Yeah. Uh, so I had the, the amazing blessing of being able to work for, for three years as an undergraduate within the McGrath Institute itself. Okay. So, I, so you um, knew the program well. <laughs> I knew the program. I trusted each person sure. who was behind, you know, behind the screen, behind the scenes. And that was so encouraging for me to, to be uh, at peace and, and know that this is the way that God was calling me to be mm-hmm. and to live in the next the next two years after graduating. Yeah. yeah. Did you have some input into the kind of ministry you did and what was that and how what was the experience like? Yes, yeah, so I was able to be a theology teacher within the middle school setting of a of a school in Indianapolis called Nativity. Okay. And glory to God, yeah, thank you Lord for for that opportunity where I was I truly just learned so much from how about how to love in that setting. And yeah, while a teacher there, so I, I had sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. Okay. And, um, <laughs> a special age. <laughs> they are so good, so good. And um, yeah, I, I feel the call to spiritual motherhood was, was really awakened in that time uh-huh. of being a middle school teacher among these, these souls that were so yearning and had so many questions and a lot of fears, anxieties. They, they, they just made known, you know, whether that was in, in the context of the whole group of the classroom or, or just one-on-one with me. Yeah, just my heart was, was really open to see these these beloved of God, these sons and daughters who needed to know that they are loved and that their life matters and that, you know, oftentimes in the culture, there is so much confusion as to who they are. Mm-hmm. But in in God, your identity is known and you are loved. And yeah, just just to love on these these young people, they they brought me so much life. So, yeah, it was really in that time that I I found myself going to the Lord more in adoration, needing to receive him in mass, right? Because um, as as any first or second year teacher knows, (laughs) the job is is anything but easy. And you can have all of these plans for yourself, as I did. You know, I have all these lesson plans. Everything's going to go so well. Like, we're going to read XYZ at XYZ speed. And you can just be stressed away of all of those things when you see there's a person in front of me and, and then yeah they have real needs and they have questions that perhaps these lesson plans like in and of themselves are not going to address uh, mm. who they are and what how God is calling them in this time so yeah I really felt broken down and the need to be built back up mm-hmm. And glory to God, thank you for, for that for that chance while being a, a teacher in middle school for that. Well, thank you for sharing. Uh, my wife uh, taught middle schoolers for a number of years. So, Did she really? So there's a, uh, there's a familiarity with, mm-hmm. with, you know, and even the, the, the amount of change that they go through, yes, just of course yes. physically, but emotionally mm-hmm. over the course of just a few years. I mean, it's a, it's a tough time and mm-hmm. a time, as you said, where they're so yeah. desperate to hear good news and a, and, a, mm-hmm. and, a, and a reassuring word mm-hmm. that you know God loves them and God knows them and so I'm sure that impacted them even beyond your time together uh, which is which is one of the beauty beautiful things I think about teaching you also lived with other echo students in intentional community what was fruitful about that time and that kind of setup 
Yeah, thanks, Dan, for mentioning that, because community is so key in the yes. ECHO program. Yeah. Um, that's really one of the pillars uh, is is formation in community. So I am so thankful for this, for that time and those people. I, I lived in community with three others, Troy, Facundo, and Maddie, and yeah, really was, was transformed to know and love and serve with them and, and know and love and serve them. Mm-hmm. So I really could not hold my own and hold my ground as a teacher if I didn't have these people to pray with and to share our stories, to share our sufferings, our strivings with. Yeah, I can't tell you how how Troy, Maddie, and Facundo impacted me. Not only, you know, the content that they were sharing, but also just the gift of themselves and their personalities. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you don't choose community. Um, you do not choose these individuals, and yet you are given these gifts of people who perhaps you would never, you know, come across. Yeah. And these pairings, you would, yeah, you would never expect. And there's just so many ways that I, I think we grew together and as individuals in relationship, being able to express our needs and, yeah, just to communicate more clearly um, because I really needed that. Mm-hmm. I really needed that at that time. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned you felt your faith deepening senior year into the couple years into ECHO, the ECHO program. Could you say mm-hmm. more about that and, and the ways you saw God working in your life during that time? Yes, yes, definitely. So I mentioned one way was, was through serving and being with these, these students in my years in ECHO. It was also uh, through being in relationship with uh, this wonderful guy who, yeah, I had the opportunity to know and to love and continue to be dear friends with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just seeing, yeah, good and holy, fr- just seeing good and holy friendships and um, drawing to the Lord more and more, like I said, in adoration and, and kind of being silent before him. Because uh, if you haven't kind of heard by now, I I can speak a lot and um, <laughs> kind of quickly. Well, I asked, I asked you to, so it's yes. okay. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, yeah, just to be with the Lord in silence and stillness. Mm-hmm. What, what a gift. Yeah, thank you, God, for um, the gift of yourself and speaking to the human heart, for letting each of us know that we are not alone, that our our life matters and our loves matter. God really manifested this to me in prayer through th- my relationship with Hayden, through, I would say, yeah, my, my family background, my, my father in particular, through my older sister, Haley, had... She continues to be just a light of faith for me. It was really through these people and through the experience of, of being a teacher in the faith mm. that, especially to the mo- the vulnerable that yeah. I was around, yeah. right? These uh, middle school students who, like you said, there's so much change going on and, and a lot of uncertainty, and they just need to know who they are in Christ and who they are in community that yeah I was just like God uh, show me the way really I've yeah I, I think that I know what your will is but you know let your will be done mm-hmm. and um, instead of asking so much like confirm and affirm this path like this path to marriage that we were on track for okay. instead the question was God I know that you love me so deeply and um I just want you to share with me, your daughter, how you want me to be in relationship with you. Mm-hmm. So kind of an opening of the question, how do you want me to be in a relationship? Because um, it could be it could be with another person mm-hmm. in service to you. Mm-hmm. It could be directly in service to you and mm-hmm. with you. And through this time, I just felt a lot of peace and, um, yeah, just a lot of peace about the question and then kind of sitting sitting with God of an image that comes to mind about this time is from the Song of Songs where the lover and the beloved are just lying down on a bed of grass mm. in this verdant pasture and 
I just kind of pictured myself with God just laying there, sometimes, you know, getting up and falling down and then looking back at the Lord who is who continues to just sit and kind of pick little blades of grass and laugh. Hmm. So, yeah, just the, the stillness, not the need to rush through things and to just listen. So, yeah, the call for the spiritual maternity and kind of looking more and more into the desires of my heart of, of poverty chastity and obedience like wow what gifts yeah well and that gives us a good segue were you surprised at god's answer or at least the answer that you found up to this point Mm -hmm. that you might be called to religious life yes and no you know you look back on your life and you even are experiencing life as it is in front of you and I'm, I'm just thinking right now, because sometimes my, my mind operates in, like, children's book, uh, <laughs> in children's literature. <laughs> so, yeah, there's this scene from one of C.S. Lewis's books of the Chronicles of Narnia mm-hmm. that I, I think parallels my life, or I see it, at least my life reflected in some ways there, where a young boy, Shasta, who is kind of on a mission with Aslan and for Aslan, alongside uh, his, his dear friend who's a girl. She's also on a mission, but like kind of in a different part of, of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And Shasta is in the midst of a misty mountain in the nighttime. He can't see. He is with his horse. They're just kind of plopping along. Clopping along? I think that's the term for horses. <laughs> he feels this hot breath just coming at him from one side hmm. and doesn't know who or what it is. So he asks, who, who are you? What are you? And there's silence for a time, but then a voice answers and the voice says, it is I. It is I. It is I. Hmm. And in time, the voice reveals himself to be Aslan, which is the figure of Christ in the Chronicles. And um, Aslan sits with with Shasta by the fire after they repose the horse and everything. And Aslan reveals that, you know, it was I when you saw this little cat, like, in the forest earlier. So when Shasta and, and Aslan finally sit down just before the fire... Aslan reveals to the boy that it is it was Aslan who appeared in the form of the cat while Shasta fought alone in a forest and it was Aslan who came in you know this way and this way all throughout his journey and in reflecting on my own life there are so many moments of grace like that where I have seen um, the movements of the Lord like it is him who is here you mm-hmm. know when when Mrs. Corliss asked what you want to be when you grew up and I yeah. picked up I picked up the, the crayons or it was the Lord when it just so many moments with my students or it, it was the Lord just kind of an, an imitation and an echo of, of John the evangelist who in the gospels is the one to say it is he recognizing the Lord across the water. Like, mm. That is what we're all called to do is, is see God in, in these moments uh, and to run to him. So, yeah, it's such a beautiful practice to, to remember these moments of grace. That's, that's something that a lot of my Notre Dame mentors through Notre Dame vision, Notre Dame theology, through the ECHO program, just recognizing these moments of grace and, and clinging to them and running to the Lord when you might not be able to see, you know, in some some point of your life when it feels like you're in, in the darkness of the mountain there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, it's not a typical thing for a young person to do. Obviously, we pray for vocations, but can you give us some mm-hmm. sense of both the sacrifice that you felt God calling you to make in terms of not pursuing marriage and, and a more traditional family vocation, but also the, any of the peace that you felt that said gave you the courage to say, but this is what God mm-hmm. is asking me to do. Yeah, thank you for asking that question, Dan. I do believe that uh, the vocation to religious life, you know, instead of Framing the question in like it, vo- the vocation to religious life is not marriage. It's like the absence of. Instead, the vocation to religious life is a fullness. It is a positive mm-hmm. for the religious, and 
it is a life that is full of joy when you do uh, freely and fully accept and receive the gift of, of poverty, chastity, and obedience. You know, poverty can be seen by so many as, as the absence of worldly things. Mm-hmm. And I have just, yeah, been given really the grace by God to, to say that poverty is, yeah, something that I can just... It's almost like removing the veil of my eyes from all these things mm-hmm. and being able to focus on the Lord and the things of the Lord. Same with uh, chastity. It's instead of, you know, saying it's a renunciation of the beautiful, beautiful gift of sexual relations within the context of marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is through that yes to chastity, to living for the Lord and, and for his people that I can see and, and minister to all of the children mm-hmm. entrusted to my care. Mm-hmm. And then obedience, instead of saying it is my ego over all, it is instead saying, okay, Lord, let your will through this person who has been chosen by you and through you to, to just let me say yes to how you're calling me to, to be in service mm-hmm. here. So, yeah, glory to God. It's, it's really, I, I feel it as a fullness um, rather than as a lack or as a renunciation, yeah. the, the call to religious life. And I think anyone in, in the state of life that God calls you to, you see it as a fullness. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. you're filled up by, these, by this call. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. That's a, a beautiful synopsis of, of, of those three aspects of religious vows. We discussed that you had some exposure to various uh, religious orders through your parish, and of course, probably that continued during your time at Notre Dame, Echo Beyond. What was the religious order that you settled on, and why, mm-hmm. as, as, you, as you kind of discern this next step in your vocation? Mm-hmm. Funny enough, but God works in this way. One of the orders who actually had the, had the chance to stay with my mom and dad and my siblings while I was off in college uh-huh. was the Sisters of Life. Okay. And um, two sisters in particular stayed with my family. And I, I found out about this through my dad. He, he called one day and was like, oh, yeah, these Sisters of Life like stayed with us. I hadn't heard of the order at that point. Uh-huh. And this must have been in 2000 and um, in, in 16. And... I actually had the opportunity to go while in right after graduation, and then again in Echo to the Sikh conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was in Chicago, and another in Indianapolis. So, me being from Chicago, I my dear friend from from grammar school, Grace. I was like, Grace, you want to go to this conference? Yeah. And um, so she and I, uh, she and I just hit the road and and went. And the one of the speakers at this conference happened to be Sister Bethany Madonna, who is uh, the vocations director mm-hmm. currently of the Sisters of Life. Okay. And I just remember meeting her face to face in. If you ever attend a seat conference, there's like a an entire arena essentially of of catholic media and of of just catholic presence kind of in one room and uh (laughs) at each little outlet there will be one or two attendants you know so sister bethany was at the sisters of life booth and yeah i I had the opportunity to meet her religious life was not um at the forefront of my mind at all at this point Mm -hmm. um and it was it wasn't until um maybe that was a year and a half, two years later, that I I just reached out and emailed the Sisters of Life, just hearing so much about them, not only from my dad and my mom's kind of time face-to-face with them in my house, but reading up from the sisters that they are the ones who care for and vow, in fact, a fourth vow um, for the protection and enhancement of the sacredness of human life. Mm. Uh, particularly for those who are most vulnerable in society. So the sick, the elderly, the unborn, and then the mothers of the unborn Mm -hmm. children. This is my heart. And yeah, this is just my heart. So for the Lord to confirm and affirm that through introducing me to the sisters and through continued conversation with the vocations director, I entered into conversation with them. I, that was in, um, 2019 in in January of 2019 
and had the opportunity to visit the Sisters of Life out in New York. We actually bopped around to a few places, Mm -hmm. uh, a few of their convents out in the Northeast just this past fall. So in October, I believe, of, uh, yeah, 2020. Mm-hmm. And then hearing on the feast of, after a lot of discernment and um, the application process is, is such a blessing for both both sides, or all three parties really involved, God, the sisters, <laughs> and then the self. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I heard back on the feast of St. Catherine of Siena, okay. who, in addition to Pier Giorgio Frassati, is, is certainly a, a saint who I have looked up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hearing back that acceptance, I, my heart is just full of joy for that. Yeah. Yes. Praise God for that. What was the reaction of your family and friends when not only I'm thinking about this, but I've applied and I've been accepted, mm-hmm. and I'm going. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely various reactions from members of my immediate family. It is really, yeah, actually my immediate family and my friends, in, in a lot of ways, they were not really surprised, but in a lot of ways too, you know, because there is so much joy and there is so much grief because it is an it is an utterly other life mm-hmm. than ones mm-hmm. that we're kind of used to. Sure. So, yeah, it has taken some time for the, the acceptance to be, like, realized and that impact to be felt. Mm-hmm. And in the lives of some others, it's like, wow, yeah, I, I saw this all along. So, yeah, just prayers for always let it be done and, and trust in, in the ways that the Lord works. Mm-hmm. Because we're all we're all just going along the journey, trying to listen and, and respond to the love we've been given. Yeah, and you've been kind and gracious enough to speak with me shortly before you formally enter the community. What's the state of your heart right now? Yes, yes. Oh man, full to overflowing. I'm just so thankful for my family, for my friends. I I've had a lot of time this summer to reflect and to rest. And in that reflection and rest, there's just, yeah, the orientation to thankfulness always. So I'm just so thankful for who and how God has placed me in this time. And it's, it's really, really just a gift to, to be here and to be on the podcast because, yeah, Dan, I know that we, yeah, we were in conversation even even before Echo, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm grateful for all the, that the alumni and friends do in sharing the stories of, of individuals just really to give heart to each other, to encourage each other in faith, as St. Paul says, because that's what it's, what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Well, you're certainly doing that for us, for our audience today. As a final question, of course, I'd like to ask you about holiness who some of the, your models of holiness have been in your life and how you've come to understand your pursuit of holiness and how you can live that out. Great question. And this is something we could all, yeah, all ask ourselves. I would say some models of holiness in my life, in addition to my my dad, who I've already mentioned, um, my friend Hayden, just so many amazing women in my life, including this past year, the mother of the children who I have been a governess for, mm-hmm. Caroline, um, her family, uh, my own grandparents. It just the list goes on when I when I think yeah, my, my grandma niece, she both of my grandmas actually were teachers mm. and teachers to really little ones, preschoolers, and my mom herself after uh, most of most of her five children have gone off to college and things, she desired to return to the littlest one. So she is assisting at our, our grade school yeah. as a, a preschool aide. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just the heart to be drawn to the little ones. I'm I'm so grateful for being formed by I would say the littlest and the greatest. Yeah. And for you, as you've come to seek holiness in the way that you've found this call, what what has been effective for you? Not that we're to the point of sanctity, mm-hmm. but on the way. What have, what have been some of the most effective practices or things that have helped you? Mm-hmm. I've found that I cannot serve my neighbor unless I first allow myself to be served by the Lord and to just sit at his feet like another um, like another Mary and so adoration is has been that for me adoration in mass and praying the liturgy of the hours 
I was first introduced to that practice as a high schooler, mm-hmm. or sorry, no, as a, in college, right after Notre Dame Vision the following summer. I had the chance to be a a teacher in Totus Tuus through my diocese, and yeah, wow, does that program really form young people? Mm. So, yeah, we had a daily practice of of mass adoration, uh, the liturgy of the hours, living in community, breaking bread together with other families of the parish. So I would say really all, yeah, that translates into our own lives, right, of when you think of the, the earliest pillar, the four pillars of the early Christian community, what did Christians do and what do we continue to do? Mm-hmm. We listen to the teaching of the apostles. Uh, we break bread together. We pray in the temple together and we share things in common. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those practices, but particularly just clinging to the Lord in his Eucharistic presence and reading through, the, especially the Psalms that are included in morning prayer, evening prayer, mm-hmm. and night prayer, they are right, that is our heart exposed, mm-hmm. the Psalms. Yeah. So I always find something of value there. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your entire story. I, I was struck by this theme of motherhood that kept coming Mm. through as you talked about being a spiritual mother and I thought about of course our mother Our Lady's University and Mary's companionship of you uh, during this time so know that you will be in Mm. our audience's prayers as you enter into religious life and continue to discern that and of course that Our Lady's heart is close to yours as you go through that we talked before the podcast uh, a special prayer from the Sisters of Life that you thought it'd be nice to share. So if you could close us with that, I'd be grateful. Of course. Thanks, Dan. Come, Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Eternal Father, source of life, open our hearts to see and desire the beauty of your plan for life and love. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that our love will be generous and self-giving, and we may be blessed with joy. Grant us great trust in your mercy. Forgive us for not receiving your gift of life, and heal us from the effects of the culture of death. Instill in us and in all people a sense of the sacredness of every human life. Inspire our efforts to protect and care for the most vulnerable especially women who are pregnant and their unborn children, the sick and the elderly. Strengthen us in the hope that with you, nothing is impossible. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who by his cross makes all things new. And we ask this through the intercession of the patrons of the Sisters of Life, Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas and mother of the unborn, and St. Joseph, her most chaste spouse, father and protector of the Holy Family. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much, Tierney, for that prayer and for being with us on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Dan. God bless you. God bless you as well. That concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast. We'd, of course, invite you, as always, to sign up for our daily gospel reflection email at faith.nd.edu slash sign up. There, in addition to receiving a reflection on the day's gospel, you'll also receive future notifications of the podcast. Until next time, you'll be in our prayers. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.